Your Steve Jones Show podcast is loading now. The Steve Jones Show podcast is sponsored by Sunbury Motors, North 4th Street in Sunbury, and Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. Sports talk where your voice counts. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motor Studio, here's Steve Jones. Is the uh, suit done telling his story? He has left the room. Oh, okay. Because <laughs> he started, I left, I just got back. <laughs> <laughs> Suit light has taken up pole vaulting. God bless him. And the sport will never be the same. (laughs) Sergey Bubka is not being threatened. All right, Neil Kulong in a few moments. First of all, James Harden authors our play-by-play call of the day. Eight on the clock for Jameer Nelson. There's a pick from Nikola Jokic. Nelson dribbles behind his back, shoots an 18-footer. Air ball. Rebound down to Harden. Seven seconds left, no timeout. Harden's going to go coast to coast. Drives down the lane. Wide open layup is up and in. 2.4 seconds left, timeout Denver. Have you ever noticed on our NBA highlight packages, we usually skip the first 47 minutes and 34 seconds and just play the last 26 seconds? (laughs) It's the way most of it is. (laughs) That's our play-by-play. Call of the day. James Harden, some think he might be the MVP of the league. All right. Neil Kulong. Let's bring in Neil now to talk about the NFL. Neil, welcome back. Great to have you with us. Uh, I give you a checklist. The Steelers has seven rounds. Give me four positions that, at least in terms of positional draft, you would say they'd be going in the right direction if they hit all four during the seven rounds. I think that the positions they're going to want to key on really uh, outside linebackers simply because they, they still need to do that. It's been, what, five, six years since they've had a real productive uh, edge-rushing presence. They, they still need to find somebody, and they need depth at the position now as well. Um, it, it's interesting because I would have said running back. I'm not entirely sure Niall Davis um, fits the bill for what they would want in a, a second back. Um, and from what I understand, he only has a one-year contract. So I, I think running back might be something to look at as well. Although Davis really is kind of the, the type of guy um, that typically, if they've drafted a running back, it's been like him—a guy that it, uh, can be complimentary on uh, special teams as well. Um, tight end, I think, is a position they need to address still. Um, it's a lot of what Todd Haley likes to do comes out of two tight end sets, and I, I think they can. Uh, bolster an already powerful offense over the next two years if they get somebody that uh, really can stretch the field and make sure that the, the Ladarius Green signing um, is something that they need. And I, I probably the last one, um, I want to say safety more than cornerback just because I'm, yeah. I'm worried about their depth there. I, I didn't uh, I didn't get a real good feel from Robert Golden this year. Um, I thought he'd be a little bit more productive than he was. But they did add Sean Davis, so I mean, you have that as, as a starting unit, um, Davis and, and Mike Mitchell. But I, I think uh, you're probably going to need another one. Um, you're probably not going to get Shmarco Thomas back, or one and back, I should say. Uh, so you, you kind of need a core special teams guy, and, and that safety position can usually promote those. So, yeah, those four I, I think are probably uh, pretty reasonable for them. Let's talk about Ben Roethlisberger for a moment. Uh he still hasn't, quote, committed to playing in 2017. I think everyone assumes he's going to. 
look, you've been around him a lot. Why does he do this? Ben really enjoys the cat and mouse, um, probably more than anything, what I would say. And this, this is true of a lot of them. Um, he doesn't have to, so he's not going to. It, it's not so much that he's trying to be difficult or anything. It's just, yeah, well, you know what, I, I'll, I'll worry about that. I don't want to talk about this stuff publicly all the time. And I'm not even sure um, if, if this particular situation really merits the attention that it's getting. I mean, I, I still think it, this is really kind of the, the point in Ben's career. He's 35 years old. He's got a couple kids. Um, I think all of them think that. They all wonder if, if they're sure. going to be into it next year. It takes a lot to get back to that level, and he's been doing this for a long time. So I, I think, he, really, he's just being honest, whereas a, a lot of other people will, will say, you know, definitely I'm committed to this. I think guys are, are just openly questioning um, whether they still have what it will take to get back into shape to, to play at a championship level the next season. And they're, they're just being more open about it. You know, I, I don't think it's really anything new. Um, at the same time, I, I, I highly, highly doubt he's honestly weighing retirement um, to, to a large degree. But I, I think it's certainly fair for him to, you know, it, at this point, uh, evaluate and assess if that's still what he wants to do with his life. Yeah, you know, what's it's interesting is that I, I know in talking about LeBron James, over the years, I've always talked about the Olympic years where he keeps going to the finals over and over again, which is more games than anybody else, and then he keeps playing the Olympics. So in those years of you know eight, twelve, sixteen, whatever, uh, you know, he's playing extra games. Roethlisberger keeps getting into deep runs into the playoffs. Doesn't always pay off in a Super Bowl. Has that taken some of a toll on him because he's had to absorb maybe more hits and more games than some people? Yeah, that's an excellent question, and, and certainly one that uh, you look at the manner in which some of these playoff games have been played. I mean, he got tattooed pretty good the second time they played Denver in, uh, uh, back in 2015. He had to survive Cincinnati three times that season. That, that's never an easy thing to do. So it, with all of the, the toll and everything that's coming on, yeah, he keeps tacking on years. And uh, some of it you, you have to kind of say – this is Ben being Ben. He, he's the type of guy that will leave everything on the field. And, and if that means him getting a, a career-ending injury, he'll accept that to hang on to the ball a little bit longer to try to make a play. That's his brand. You know, that, that, that's the style of football that he plays. And I say that because most people are going to say, well, Tom Brady certainly doesn't seem to have a problem playing more games. Like, well, Tom Brady releases the ball in about two seconds. Exactly. That's the way their offense works. That's the kind of passer he is. Ben wouldn't be uh, as as successful and as productive as he's been over his career if he didn't do the things that he did. So really, you, you can't ask him to, to play a completely different style of football. But over the last couple of years with Todd Haley, uh, they, they haven't taken he hasn't taken as much, but they've been real meaningful uh, hits. I mean, that one in St. Louis was nasty. I remember yeah. the, the way that he described it was um, like his his leg bones smacked together or something. He thought it was broken. Um, it, it was a, a pretty deep bone bruise, but that was a nasty hit, one that amazingly didn't draw a fine. I don't understand how, but um, those kinds of hits, you know, unfortunately for quarterbacks, those are going to come eventually, and it, they're going to add up. They're going to take their toll um, it, it, over the course of the regular season. You add in the playoffs where the intensity is just that much higher. Um, it, it's, it's tough. You, you have to wonder uh, how much really he does have left. Yeah, because, I mean, you talked about Brady, for example. I mean, Brady uh, doesn't absorb a lot of hits, to his credit. I mean, that's completely to his credit. I mean, when he's about to get hit, he just flat out goes down. Uh, and, yeah. and, and as opposed to Roethlisberger, he'll stand there and he'll get belted because he's trying to hold on to the ball longer and make a play. Yeah, there, there are some cases with Ben, it, it's almost like you, you can see him 
Uh, he's not literally doing it, but you can see him smiling. You know, it, it, he and there was a point in his career where the offensive line uh, it just wasn't <laughs> wasn't particularly good, and, and they let pressure in all the time. And it was almost like Ben would drop seven and just wait. You know, it, it was like screw the play. I'm just going to make something happen on my own because I'm not going to get time to do the things that you know I, I'm going to need to do to make this play work. So it was like he invited it in, and that the play would start after he'd, he'd break contain and just kind of go off schedule and do his own thing. I mean, for, you know, talking to, to some people um, within the NFL, a lot of them say that, that uh, Roethlisberger and his escapability, his ability after the play broke down, kind of created this this new style of offense in which receivers don't have just you know a multitude of patterns based on the defense but they have uh, another route that they're going to run after three seconds if the ball isn't out just because that's the style that Ben plays and it, it's it's obviously worked and he's taken a lot of hits um, because of it and not all of them come um, it's not like it, it's just him hanging on to the ball when the hits come he got hit plenty of times in three seconds or less <laughs> a lot of those years I mean, he, had, he had some really poor uh, uh, tackle help in particular so um, overall, he brings on you know some of it himself, but I, I think that's again just kind of the style that he wants to play. How tricky is the Steelers' quarterback future in terms of you know, who do you sign, who do you draft, when do you draft them? How tricky is that? I, I think it's it's next to impossible. I mean, really, what, what everyone's going to say immediately is uh, the, the the Brett Favre Aaron Rodgers comparison. That that's a complete fluke. You know, it, something like totally. that just won't happen. Totally, um, you, you won't get that again. And uh, I mean, remember, know, Roger like, Rogers is supposed to be like the fourth or fifth guy off the board. Period. Not twenty four. Yeah, well, whatever happened with that? There's, there are a lot of things that that got screwed up with that. You could see it in his face when he finally went off the board too. He he thought he was a top five pick, and I don't think that's a, an ego thing. I think that teams told him that, right? <laughs> and for for whatever reason, they weren't. And Ted Thompson, you know, fell into to possibly the best you know draft fluke ever. I mean, to, to replace uh, Favre with Rodgers is insane. Um, basically, the only comparison you might be able to make is, is Montana and Young, but that doesn't even really fit the bill. There are a lot of other stuff right, that but they, happened but, among but, that deal. But they traded for him. He was at Tampa Bay. You know, I mean, so I mean, they they they, they were able to get him in, Young in a steal. Yeah, from from the perspective of replacing one legend with another, it, it just doesn't happen in the NFL. So for them to have done that, it, it's a fluke, and it also wasn't something. I think uh, Ted Thompson expected to happen, and they just kind of pounced on the deal when they got it. Um, if, if they're going to replace Ben Roethlisberger with Ben Roethlisberger 2.0, it's probably going to be a fluke. Um, I, I don't think they're going to be able to do it. I think a lot of teams get stuck into kind of a, a purgatory in which they have to basically rent a, a veteran passer and try to find your, your future in the draft. And we're, we're seeing that with a couple teams right now. It seems like Cleveland's kind of perennially stuck in that spot. Uh, the Jets have been over the last couple of years, and they've got, what, four future quarterbacks yeah. on their roster now. Sure. Um, they're going to they're find one come hell or high water. But um, it, it, the Steelers, I, I would imagine just by odds, it, it's going to have to be something like that uh, unless they luck out and, and get a second or a third round pick a couple of years from now that they feel legitimately can be a starter in the NFL. But the odds of that happening really are not very high. So it, it's a tough spot for them to be in. And I would think if you know they think the next Aaron Rodgers falls to 30, I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if they pulled the trigger. Well, and then here's the next part of it. Obviously, we're in, in no better than okay NFL draft this year on quarterbacks. I think it's a fair statement. How difficult is it becoming for NFL scouts 
to look at spread offense college quarterbacks and figure out whether they can play, they have enough to play in the league. That is just the hardest thing to do. I, I don't think you can do it. I honestly think there's a you know it, there's a point that you can't do too much analysis simply because what you're asking him to do is something completely different. You know, you, you can listen to a guitar player and know that he could play guitar, but you're, right. you want to pay him a couple million dollars to play bass. Can you do that? Uh, you're not. You know, there are some things that you can connect between the two, but in the end, it really comes down to how well. I, in my opinion, anyway, how well the kid can take to coaching, uh, to, can take to kind of being humble, having to learn how to do something. And naturally, their their position right now is they can do anything. They're going to tell them, you know, absolutely, I can do this. This is why I can do this. I don't think they even know. I, it, it's just such a difficult thing to gauge. Uh, for me, it would really just come down to how much I believe in him, um, in, in his ability to work and learn, and how well I trust my coaches. Uh, to be able to train him the way that we need to, to do it. And with that, I think what you're going to come up with is you, you really can't go from one to the other. You've got to have elements of both. And really what that means is you have to kind of, you know, re-engineer your offense to fit your quarterback strengths. You, you can't force him into a system uh, that isn't going to work for him. And I think we saw that at several times in the past. There's a lot of quarterbacks that uh, it really just didn't seem to get all that great of a chance. I mean, <laughs> looking at, at Blaine Gabbard, not that he was the most talented guy, guy in the world, but man, he had no clue what he was doing. You know, he, he was a, a fish out of water uh, doing those kinds of things. It's like if you wanted him to succeed, you've got to come up with something that he can do. And, uh, you know, several teams have failed with him in that. I mean, I'll give you an example on the college level currently. I remember when JT Barrett at the end of last season said, announced he's returning to Ohio State. My first comment was, what were his options? I mean, and I'm not saying that to be cruel because he's a fine, fine college quarterback, but he's not a next level guy, and you and I know it. Yeah, I, I don't. I, I think definitely staying in school was a was a good option for him. Right, um, but I'm saying, but that, again, that's the first thing I thought was, what were your options? Because he's not a next level. He may be a next level player somewhere, but not a quarterback. Yeah, it, it really with him, it, I think it's fairly obvious he, he's just he's limited, you know, and, and certainly that's true of just about anybody um, playing in college, you know, that that's one thing right. I think that gets lost in all the draft hype is the number of guys selected grossly pales in comparison to the number of guys that, that played on scholarship last year, you know, and, and yeah. that will always be the case for obvious reasons. Uh, I, I saw something interesting yesterday. Uh, Landry Jones is the only quarterback drafted in 2013 who's still with his original team. Um, and, and you look down that list, there's only like 10 guys. There were 10 quarterbacks that were drafted. And how many quarterbacks played? And if you look at a guy like Barrett, it's like it, there's no way there are not 10 guys that are better than you uh, in, in terms of potential of becoming pro. So I agree with you. Yeah, it's like I don't, I don't know why you needed to announce that. I don't think anybody really, you know, anybody who knows anything really thought that hey, you're somebody that can go right now. And more than anything, what happens with uh, – with a lot of the quarterbacks is, you know, somebody better is behind them, and that's the guy who's going to take over the next year. So they're getting out now before they have to ride the bench for a year. Right, and my bigger point on on Barrett is using him as an example because that is an example of the vast majority of college quarterbacks who are really good college quarterbacks, but not the pros. Jalen Hurts at Alabama. I mean, do you see any pro potential there? I don't. No. <laughs> no. no. See, I mean, and that's my <laughs> point. A great, a great comparison, actually. Right. You know, and that's my point. And it, it, it's the, that's what the pool is. And the job of the college coach is to take his college program and his college system and win with it. It's not their job to develop NFL guys. That's a bonus if it happens. 
Yep, and, and certainly uh, Ohio State's a great example of that with, with two different coaches. Um, it, it's not necessarily a, a system that, that's all that friendly to college quarterbacks, but it's going to get them a ton of exposure. I mean, you, you can see guys uh, having success and at least getting that opportunity, but you can't look at, say, like Troy Smith, for example, who's one of the better college football quarterbacks I think you'll ever see. Yep. Um, it, it, basically no chance of becoming a pro, mm-hmm. um, but I would imagine the experience that he had, the leadership that he was able to develop in the time there, kept him around the league for a couple of years. And that was, that was you know, he, he's a Heisman player. He, he's a legend in Columbus, but he was never going to be, you know, the next Joe Namath or anything like that. Mm-hmm. He wasn't a pro guy, but he still parlayed a, a very successful college career into a few bucks and, and, you know, certainly enough of an opportunity to say, hey, you know, I, I gave it my shot. I, I, you know, I did the best that I could here. Uh, it didn't work out for me, but hey, I got to, you know, sit around for four years in the NFL. That's not too bad. In fact, if you sit down and you just take a quick look and go through all 32 teams and their starting quarterbacks, you will find one very interesting answer right away. There is no cradle of quarterbacks in college. They come from everywhere. They're, Absolutely true. Just, I mean, you know, take take a look at each roster, right, and look at it. I mean, just take take the Steelers division. Oh, okay. Let's start with that. Miami of Ohio, TCU. Uh, Delaware by way of Pitt and parts unknown. That's the Browns. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody somewhere who probably fits in the same demographic. <laughs> I mean, that's just, but, but that's typical of every division in the league. Yep, yep, you're exactly right. I mean, it, it's it's not it, you know, and a lot of the guys too. It, it's you're seeing journeyman quarterbacks who have some ability uh, that came from absolutely nowhere, and you know they're undrafted guys, they're seventh round guys that you've literally never heard of before. Right. Um, it, it's just such a, a hard thing to evaluate, and in the end, there really just aren't very many spots available, and there, there it seems like there's even less talent. You know, it, it's just such a hard position to have to play, and it's one that you have to have a high level player if, if you want to be successful as a team. Right. I mean, I think I think right now the 32 starting quarterbacks are, I believe, from 32 different universities. I believe. That's interesting. I'm gonna look that up. Yeah, I'm gonna I mean, look that up. And you, you know what? It also has always stood out to me is is the fact that um, this is what I called the Jay Cutler theory before. Jay Cutler and now Jared Goff are like the only two quarterbacks in the NFL who did not win um, at least like 55 percent of their games. That's in right. And 55 was on the low side. And look, look what happened to, to Jay Cutler. Jay Cutler has, I believe, like three games below 500 in career that he started the vast majority, if not all, of, of the games he's played in. So it, it's, you know, you look for a guy that, that can lead a team to win. There's a direct correlation between that. But to be a high-level player, uh, <laughs> it, it's, it's really hard to pinpoint any one thing. In fact, I think they're both below 500 in college as starters. I think, yep, I think yep. in fact, I don't, I don't yeah, think their college I, record was was below 500. Yeah. And in the NFL, right. Um, right. It, basically nobody who's there had less than 55 yeah. percent as a win percentage. Yeah, the only the only school I think you'd find that might have a multiple is Michigan State, but that's if you count Brian Hoyer with eight different teams. All right, so <laughs> good point. He's a good one to look at. <laughs> hey, as always, Neil. Thanks so much. I know we extended it a bit, but it was a fun conversation. Yeah, it's good stuff. Thanks for having me. Neil Kulong, USA Today, back with more in a moment on News Radio 1070 WKOK, brought to you by Sunbury Motors.
news, bottom of the hour coming up. Final half hour, open phone lines at 800-795-9565. Love to hear from you. Get your questions or comments. Uh, thanks to Neil Kulong for joining us on the show today. A lot of fun talking the NFL with him. And the difficulty you're finding now between college football style of play and the NFL style of play. That is, over the next five years, is going to be an interesting dynamic. Because does the NFL have to adapt? Or are they going to have to go with guys that are mediocre at the position, but they have to plug them in? I don't know. But the next five to ten years could be very interesting on that front. Taking your calls at 800-795-9565. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motor Studio, here's Steve Jones. Great to have you with us. Uh, look, JC's in a car. And since JC is in a car, I want to get to JC. Before we get to uh, anything else, all right, both hands on the wheel, my man. <laughs> hey, Steve, how you doing, buddy? Good, JC. How are you today? I'm doing well. Hey, listen, I, I, I actually, it's actually a promo. I'm going to do a promo. You ever hear of a guy named Jordan Hill? Yeah, for the dude just signed with the Lions, he used to play here. Yes, yes. Do you know that he trains in Harrisburg? Oh yeah, because that's uh, he's a Steelton guy. Yes, local guy. Actually, my nephew is the guy that trains him, and a uh, real good guy, real good guy, Steve, and he's working real hard. He was with a couple teams last year, but I think he found a home this time in Detroit. He's got some real talent, and it's not even on court yet, and I, I think he's going to let it loose in uh, Detroit. He did pretty well in Seattle, and I interviewed Jordan at the Super Bowl when they played and beat Denver. Got a little bit of a chance there. Then there's the Redskins for a period of time last year. Detroit could be a really good home for him, and Detroit showed last year they have a chance to be a team on the move. I agree. I agree totally. Um, there's actually a school in uh, Harrisburg. I think the name, yeah, the name of it is Parisi. I could be wrong. But, you know, they work with a lot of high school kids and uh, that want to go to college, that want to go to the next level, and they come down to these trainers. And I'm telling you what, man, they work hard hard they work hard and and uh what he had a wrestler too this year that uh got sixth place in the state of pennsylvania this year um he's a junior most of his class is going to be um graduating next year so he should have an outstanding senior year probably go down state again and hopefully uh take a medal um i'm just real big on on local guys you know i i want to see him succeed i go to the games my daughter's in high school so i go to a lot of the games i recognize a lot of the names you know that you see later and these kids, you know, they're out there. They're they're working hard, Steve. And uh, it's an ethic that that is uh, in short supply these days. And I admire these kids for doing it. And I admire the parents for for getting out there and encouraging them and getting them what they need to to be successful and go to the next level. I just think it's great. You know, schools like Parisi that are helping these high school kids go to the next level, and then college. You know, they know the work ethic when they get there. It helps them. You know, and even in life itself. You know, uh, good kids though, good kids. And but I really wanted to put a shout out there for Jordan Hill. I really hope he does well in uh, Detroit, and I hope Detroit has a good year this year. 
Yeah, same here. I know. Because, I know. Uh, I'm a Bears so, fan. I'm a Bears hey. fan, but hey, you know. It's all right. He's also, but he's also one of the guys. We've had Jordan on the show before, and he and his wife have done a great job of giving back. So he's always appreciated the opportunities had in the NFL, and he and his wife have given back because of that. All right. I agree. Hey, I appreciate you taking my call today, Steve. I know you get a lot of them, and, uh, you know, I just want to put the locals out there because uh, they're working hard, too, and they need some recognition. They need a pat on the back. They need some encouragement. They need a shout-out. And you are just the guy to do it because you've been around athletes your whole life. You can recognize them from first meeting. You know who's going to go and who's not. You know who's working and who's not. And uh, I just want to recognize them for all their hard work, Steve. And uh, it's just great. It's, it's what our youth needs. Hey, great call, JC. Appreciate it very much. All right, Steve. You have a great day, hey. and enjoy enjoy your uh, your dark and dingy uh, studio because it's beautiful, warm, and sunny out here. Not to rub it in or anything. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure it's great out there. Now, look, both hands on the wheel. <laughs> yeah, but you got. Co- I heard you got some good company in there to break some sunshine on you, though. That's exactly right. We always do. So we're good. All right, Steve. Thanks, thanks a lot. Thanks good so much. To you. I look forward to listening to the rest of your show. Take care. Appreciate it. 1-800-795-9565. 1-800-795-9565 is the number. Okay, uh, time now for the uh, sports bozo of the day. Okay, now listen to this one. A factory worker in West Virginia... He's not the sports bozo, it's 180 of that. But it shows you how hard it is. A factory worker in West Virginia fell one game short of winning $1 million in Berkshire Hathaway's NCAA Tournament Bracket Contest. The company was offering $1 million per year for life to any employee who could pick the opening two rounds of the tournament correctly and a lump sum of $1 million to anyone who accurately predicted the first round. So, Berkshire Chairman Warren Buffett, known to the suit as Buffet, told ESPN on Tuesday that the winner, who did receive $100,000 for going the furthest among the 96,108 brackets entered, missed one game in the opening round. After choosing the first 29 games correctly, he picked Marquette to beat South Carolina. Now remember, South Carolina had not won an NCAA tournament game since 1973. Now they've won two in 48 hours. He told me he almost did not fill out the bracket So he wasn't that upset, Buffett said. He told me it will help pay off some of his bills. He still gets $100,000. The contest was open to more than 360,000 employees of Buffett's companies that fall under his holding company of Berkshire Hathaway. The odds of getting all 32 opening round games correct is 1 in 3,426, according to 538. The odds are that we'll, they'll eventually give away the $1 million, said Buffett, who added that he will hold the contest for a third straight year in 2018. We like doing it because we often act as separate companies, and this brings all of us together. 
Now, I think it's really cool that he does it. Getting a $1 million per year for life for picking the opening two rounds correctly might never happen, though. The odds this year were 1 in 1,943,573. Really? Even if it happens, there's plenty of money to go around. Why? Buffett is the second richest person in the world. Net worth? $76 billion. I didn't say million. He's worth... I mean, net worth... $76 billion. And he didn't get there by selling digital media. Berkshire Hathaway stock, which is a Class A share, is the most expensive in the world. Right now trading at more than $250,000 a share. How about that? (laughs) I heard you laughing about that you didn't get there... It's all right. Uh, Well, we've talked about all the ratings. Uh, I want to get into uh, an ESPN story for a moment. As I mentioned earlier in the show, ESPN had an opportunity, it seemed. There was at least discussions, evidently, in 2010 of them buying out the rest of the CBS contract. And and getting ESPN involved in 2010 and just selling off the rest of the tournament. That's where they then came up with, and then Turner came in and said, look, we can, do you want to partner on this? And that changed everything. A contract that was supposed to run to 2024 was extended for $8.8 billion through 2032. So ESPN can't even get in the door for the next 15 years. Now comes the story about ESPN. Um, And ESPN right now is going to lower the emphasis on ESPN News and ESPN Classic. They don't bring in the viewers of, obviously, ESPN, The Deuce, or ESPNU. So you might see those channels disappear from your cable, maybe. Not sure, but maybe and become a la carte selections like Fox Sports 2 has become for some people. An issue right now, there's there's several issues for ESPN. One issue is getting the millennials engaged. Getting millennials engaged in anything consistently right now is a constant business problem. And it doesn't have to be television. I mean, it can be attendance at games. It can be television. It could be uh, the supermarket. It could be anything. It could be your your chain store, whatever. Uh, And devices have become so important to them. Very important. And...
in ESPN's attempt to do whatever they can to try and change and tailor programming to get the all-important 18 to 49 um, demographic engaged. And the 18 to 49 demographic is critical. That's one that you know every network tries to use. Well, they're struggling getting the millennials in that 18 to 49. The, the millennials would be up to the 34 range. They're struggling to get that group, and what's happening is that they're losing people like me along the way, except for games. Now, it doesn't matter. I fall significantly out of the 18 to 49 group. I'll freely tell you it's by 10 years. But there's more to it now than ever. There are now 31 sports networks out there. 31 that have siphoned off programming. And what has happened in the siphoning of programming is that people have now, with so many teams, so many schools, have really locked in on their team or their school. If you are a Phillies fan and we carry the games, whenever they're on, you're watching the Phillies, you know about them. You know something about the Mets, probably. You know something about the Braves, probably. A little bit about the Marlins. Okay? But you really know about the Phillies. You know who's in the farm system, who's over at Lehigh Valley. You know who's at Reading. You're into it. That's your team. Penn State. You know Penn State football. You know you know what the first group looks like, what the possibilities are in the offensive line, which guys might step up at defensive end, who the linebackers are, who's first team, second team, who's hurt, who's not. You know that's your team. Now I bring up Ohio State. Hey, you know, they get JT Barrett. And you know that. And Urban Meyer's the coach. That's not a put down of you. That's how today people watch their sports. They're into their team. If I ask Sean about the Steelers, he knows everything about the Steelers. All right? But, for example, if they have to play the Houston Texans, he knows Bill O'Brien's their coach, but I'm going to wager he doesn't know too much more beyond J.J. Watt. Because that's not his team. And that's where we are now. People are, are really dialed in on their teams. And you have 31 sports networks out there now. 22 regional sports networks. I mean, they're siphoned off everything. NCAA tournaments on CBS and Turner. NBA Finals are on ABC, which is ESPN. But they split the contract between ESPN and TNT. Major League Baseball, TBS, Fox, ESPN. World Series, Fox. Half the playoffs, TBS, other half, Fox. Hockey, NBC, NBC Sportsnet. NFL, every network known to man. College football, SEC Network, ESPN, ESPN2. Now the Big Ten has Fox. The Big Ten has Fox, 
ESPN, CBS, BTN. You have this all over the place now. I mean, there's so many choices, it is siphoned off the audience from these people. And they're trying so desperately to appeal to that 18 to 49 demographic, which is a really hard climb to begin with. And what they're doing in the process is they're taking somebody like me that's actually really into sports and really enjoys it and turning me off. Except for games. I'll watch games. I'll watch games, and I'll watch a really good 30 for 30. Like best interview I've seen in the last uh, month? Best interview I've seen in the last month? Not on ESPN, not on Fox. It was Golf Net. It was Golf Channel. David Faraday with Phil Mickelson. It was, I mean, that's the best interview I've seen probably in the... in. Is, in 2017. But it wasn't on those. It was on Golf Channel. All right, we'll wrap it up in a moment here on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Sunbury Motors Lincoln continues to satisfy the most discerning buyer by making American luxury affordable. If you are looking for a midsize SUV, the Lincoln MKX has to be on your list. Sunbury Motors Lincoln has a brand new 2016 Black Velvet MKX all-wheel drive with navigation and panoramic Vista roof with an MSRP of $48,640 for only $43,352. That's $5,288 in savings. You can choose from 12 MKXs in stock now. Sunbury Motors Lincoln has five 2017 Lincoln Continentals in stock, ready for the test drive of your life. The 2017 Continental won the coveted 2017 AutoGuide.com Reader's Choice Luxury Car of the Year Award. Sunbury Motors has a 2017 Continental with an MSRP of 48315 discounted to 46315 Now is the time to see why more people are realizing they can move up to a brand new Lincoln from Sunbury Motors Lincoln in the North Fourth Street Auto Plaza, Sunbury. All right, great to have you with us. Don't, don't tell me he's still there. No, he ducked back out. We're good. Oh, I'm telling you, deep down, he misses the show. He, he does. does. He does. <laughs> no, it's just wow. But no, some great news. Uh, we are in the process of expanding uh, different platforms to uh, you know, for people to listen to our podcast after the live shows are done. So we'll keep you posted, and uh, hopefully, uh, you know, before all is said and done, we will be you'll be able to uh, catch us on either iTunes or Google Play with the podcast. So we'll and I'd you... like to point out that on this show, there is a lot more said than done. Mm-hmm. All right. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wait. That's what we're supposed to do. I forgot. Uh, don't forget, On the Mark coming up tomorrow morning. Uh, what are they yelling about tomorrow? Do we know? I don't know. Open phones, I know. Oh, that could be brutal. Yeah. That I mean, that could be brutal. And tomorrow will be the calm before the storm. Because then you've got four games on Thursday and four games coming up on Friday. 
to get to the Elite Eight. Uh, again, the interest in the tournament, I mean, the ratings have been there. I mean, that's something, I mean, I wasn't sure. You know, you're never sure about these things. And the ratings are going to go up for the Final Four this year. And the reason the ratings will go up for the Final Four is it's going from TBS to CBS. So, you know, let's use some common sense here. That's why it's going to happen. But they've already, you know, I'm sure they've already prepared the press release. They have, just have to fill in the number. <laughs> <laughs> we went back to over the air CBS. Now we're not going to point that out, but it's, you know, we're not going to mention that to you. And Penn State football starts spring practice tomorrow. It's going to be a very interesting ride to see what they do. The expectations for Penn State football are exponentially different now than 365 days ago on March 21st, 2016. How people were discussing Penn State football is completely different than March 21st, 2017. And that is... That's great. I, I had, today, Wise Markets was here with their Fight Hunger Initiative in conjunction with the Central Pennsylvania Food Banks, which was really well done. It was great to see Jamie Hynoski today, matter of fact. And... When I introduced James Franklin today, I said uh, he's done something really great because now everyone talks about what Penn State football, I mean, Penn State has a great, great tradition. It's a tradition all of us really have enjoyed and we cherish. You know what? Uh, he has everyone talking about what Penn State football is and what it's going to be. That's really cool. You're listening to News Radio 1070 WKOK Sunbury. You can hear us anywhere in the world with the Sunbury Broadcasting Corporation app.